0: welcome guys how's it going Good worship was good worship was good mm. guys I am uh, excited i was <laughs> i didn't realize what a time it was' like worship already started and I just keep writing and writing and writing I love when um, I'm preparing a message and and like the Lord just throws things last minute. And I'm just like, okay, I just write down. I just keep writing and I just keep writing. And I'm like, I don't even know what flipping time it is, but I'm just, I'm so just trying to hear from the Lord and just dive into what he wants us to hear, me included, to hear about his heart and how he wants to draw us closer to it. And and last week we were, were, were doing something a little bit different. And for those of you guys that have been here, been here a while, know Calvary Chapel, like we've been going through the book of Acts for a long time, over a year, right? And we're, through, we're in 16 or 17, somewhere around there. And we're talking about the first church and we're, we're talking about the very first Christians, right? We recognize in the beginning of Acts, it was like they, they were just waiting on Jesus and Jesus ascended up into heaven and they're like, all right, go to Jerusalem and just wait. And they're like, okay. <laughs> what does that mean, right? They only have his life on this earth. They only have the apostles, but then they're given this gift of the Holy Spirit for the first time, In human history, right? And so there's this gift of the Holy Spirit, the third part, not just some cosmic entity. It's not like the force in Star Wars, right, where you have superpowers that you can kind of tap into every once in a while. No, no, it's the third person head of the Trinity, which actually gets to indwell in us. And so we see kind of this unraveling of a story of the first church and just, just a snapshot of a few different places in which the, the church was growing and, and where, where, where some churches got it wrong and some churches get it right, but we kind of follow the life of Peter and then the life of Paul and then the first apostles and the things that they did wrong. And they're just trying to emulate what Christ did on this earth and then just be observant of the Spirit and where they're learning, Right? But the foundation of that, and, and, and really where my heart was as I was praying in the new year, and we, last week we talked about cliche, talked it, knocked it out of the park, we talked about fasting. <laughs> Beginning of the year, we're giving up food. Beginning, we're getting in shape. We have the, the New Year's resolutions, right? And, and I know there's a lot of different churches that are talking about fasting, and I felt so, like, cheesy for doing it. But the Lord's like, who cares? You're not in another church, you're in this church. You're not in a different ministry, you're in this ministry. I'm just giving you a window into my conversation with the Lord because it's very sarcastic oftentimes. <laughs> I'm talking and I'm reading and I'm, I'm digging into what he has, but, but it's, it's, we dove into what are we hungry for. And we talked about specifically, we jumped right into, middle, into the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. The greatest, the greatest sermon of all time, it's regarded as the greatest sermon of all time, and I love it, it's just Jesus just talking to a bunch of people right? But it's like this kingdom living that we get the snapshot of. And I just kind of jumped right in the middle of it because we not only talked about fasting, but we talked about praying and we talked about giving, which probably made some people uncomfortable. Good. I'm glad you're uncomfortable. I'm glad that I talked about giving your time and your money and it made you uncomfortable because that means you're paying attention. And I want you to recognize that there's a spiritual discipline in those three which is going to cause you to get closer unto Jesus and his heart and his plan for your life and the unveiling story that, that, that we get to be a part of for the very first time. And, 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 and I, I, I just want all of us, myself included, to be stretched in that capacity, for us to be stretched spiritually, for it not to just go by in another year and you just kind of plateau in your walk with Christ where nothing changes. I don't want to just stay the same this year. I want to grow. I said it last week. I want to see miracles. I want to see an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. We see it in Scripture. Why can't we see it here? But it's going to require something of us, and that's surrender. It's going to require something of us, and that is our attention. And that's what we went after last week. Where's our attention? Where's our treasure lie? Where's our focus lie? Where's our money lie? What are we praying about? How do we actually pray? Are we doing it in front of other people so that people can see us pray? Are we doing it in our, our prayer closet? Are we doing it in the car ride? Are we doing it on a walk? Are we doing it while we're working and going through tedious things? Are we spending time with Jesus? Are we fasting in such a way that, that, that the, the idea is not to get trim? It's not to lose a little weight. It's not just fasting a little bit of, of social media or fasting a little bit of X, Y, and Z. No, no, no. It's, 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 it's the idea that, that hunger was given to us by God. Right? It's a part of who we are. It's a part of our anatomy. Literally, the first sin was Eve eating an apple. It had to do with eating, a consumption Right? And we see that it's a picture of our consumption, not only of food, but the things that we ingest reveals where our heart belongs. And so we abstain from things, we're going to get tempted by things, and then it's going to reveal to us God's heart. And you want to get in alignment with God's heart? Try fasting. And so, really, it was a challenge to all of us. Do you want to get deeper in your walk with Jesus this year? Try fasting, try praying, try giving. Try fasting, try praying, try giving. Super simple. We can simplify what it means to be a Christian and, and, and the challenges of a Christian into to, to what Jesus taught. I love the way that Jesus taught and it was prophetic in the Old Testament that the Messiah would come teaching in parables. You guys remember stories. We remember the terribles, and, 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 and interlaced with those parables is this beautiful heavenly doctrine that we, we get the way in which we should live. And that's exactly where we're going to be jumping into, and we're, we're starting the series, and we started last week, it's called "Living Victoriously." Because for me, I, it's, self-admittedly, I talk about suffering a lot. I talk about the things that go wrong, that we have, should have this expectation of suffering, this expectation that the world is going to blow up. Be joyful. Choose joy in the midst of it. But I want you to recognize that God wants you to live in, such a way, live, live in such a way that calls us to live with confidence, with victory in mind, knowing that we know what happens at the end of the story. Rain is going to fall on the poor man. Rain is going to fall on the rich man. There's going to be death and travesty and terrible things that happen to all of us, whether or not you have a relationship with Jesus. But gosh darn it, I'd rather have a relationship with Jesus and know what to do with those feelings, with that hurt, with that anger, with that anxiousness, than to be away from him. Because all I'm going to be trying to to do is fill that void with something that is just going to leave me feeling more and more empty. So we're going to be passing out Bibles. Elijah has some Bibles. We're going to be in Matthew, starting in Matthew 4 today, at the end of Matthew 4, going into chapter 5. But really, we're going into the Sermon on the Mount. We're going into the Sermon on the Mount. In this sermon series, Living Victoriously. And again, we, we, we kind of jumped right smack into the middle of this sermon. This is where the Lord led me last week into to Matthew 6 talking about fasting and giving and praying and really what it revealed is that Jesus is after our heart and our attention and our focus. But today we're going to get into the foundations of this sermon. We're going to get the foundation of kingdom living by getting into the aspects of having kingdom character. Do you know that we're we're called to be a people that have character? To be ethical What is, how how can you even define ethics if there is no good and evil like the world would suppose? How do you define evil? How do you define good? Well, I know for me as a believer in Jesus Christ, I define evil and good by the scriptures. Man, Kelly and I went on a date last night and uh, we saw a terrible rom-com. I'm not even going to say the name of it. Maybe you guys, some of you guys saw it. We, Kelly talked to the ticket lady. She's like, oh my god, I, I, I saw it five times already. It's just the most amazing movie. And we saw it and we're just like cringing the whole time because it's just, it's so backwards, right? This, these two people that are fighting, the only, the only solution for them fighting in the midst of this problem, oh, sleep with each other. <laughs> and you're like, what? <laughs> what kind of solution is that? And I'm not going to get into the full story, but, but it's just so upside down. What is wrong is right, and what is right is wrong, and marriage is just blah, 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 blah. You get into all these things, and I'm like, man, our society is just so backwards. And we, we see it in our movies, we see it in the television, and, and, and we're getting used to it. I don't know about you guys, but, but I'm, I'm, not, I'm a little, like, numb, to evil. And I hate to say that, but the garbage that I watch on TV, the garbage that we talk about, the garbage, the things that you're filling your mind with, you don't even think about anymore. But 10 years ago would have been disgusting. 20 years ago would have been criminal. But now we're like, huh, that's funny. <laughs> and we see this deterioration of society and we just kind of laugh. And we think, well, what's my role in this, Lord? Well, what if we lived a life set apart? The definition of holiness is what? To be set apart. And we recognize as Christians that we want to be set apart from this world. We don't want our lives to look like the rest of the world. But what does that require of us? What does that look like for us as Christians? How, do we, how, do, how, how does our life look different? Well, Jesus gave us some simple ampers, answers, and we're going to be reading about that tonight. Lord, I need prayer, because I am tripping all over my words tonight. But you know what? God's faithful. And if he can take someone like me to preach up here, he can do amazing things with you. <laughs> So tonight we're going to be in Matthew 4, verses 23, just for a little bit of a background before we get into the full Sermon on the Mount, and then we're going to be in chapter 5, verses 1 through 6. So if you guys want to stand with me for the reading of the word, Matthew chapter 4, verses 23. 23. There's a whole bunch of. If you guys are not reading your Word, if you're not participating in a, in a, in a re, read your Bible in a year, I, I definitely encourage you guys to do that. And we actually have a program where we do it in two years. We made it super simple, so you can actually download the GodSpeak app and just go into the anchor reading, and it'll just pop up the the Old Testament, the New Testament, the Psalms, and the Proverbs of the day. Just do it. And if you don't want to do that one because you don't like, whatever, I don't care. Just read your Bible, <laughs> okay? Matthew is awesome. <laughs> I love the book of Matthew. I love the book of Mar- Like, just getting back to Jesus is just so refreshing. Because this is what it's all about. And today, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 4, verses 20 through 23. And Jesus went about all of Galilee, teaching in the synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease among the people. Then his fame went throughout all Syria, and they brought uh, to him all sick people who were afflicted with various diseases and torments, and those who were demon-possessed, epileptics, paralytics, and he healed them. Great multitudes followed him from Galilee, and from Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and beyond the Jordan." chapter 5, verse 1, And seeing the multitudes, he went up on a mountain. And when he was seated, his disciples came to him. And then he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they should be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. For they shall be filled. That's our passage tonight. Last week I asked, what are you hungry for? And Jesus tells us specifically how we're going to get filled. Let's pray. Gracious Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that is living and breathing, that is pertinent to right now, not just 2,000 years ago, that you're not a dead God in in a grave somewhere, just a person that we just read about in historic documents, Lord, but you are a living, breathing, active God who is interested in what is going on in our lives, individually, corporately, on a global scale, Lord. And We're so thankful for your ability to see everything, to know everything. Father, to be this great, magnificent king and yet to be so intricately involved in all of our lives that you care about our decisions day in and day out. Father, we ask that you would have your way tonight, that you would move my flesh out of the way and that you would speak openly and freely, that your presence would be tangible tonight and that, Lord, you would be glorified above all things, that we would get a little bit closer to your heart. In all these things we pray. Amen. 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 You guys can be seated. <laughs> We're on the Sermon on the Mount. Maybe a lot of you guys have heard sermon series about this. You've, you've d- dug into this, and, and, and maybe it's just a refresher course. Whatever it is, this is where the Lord brought me. And, and I'm excited to get into it because, because I want to know the nuts and bolts of Christian living. I want to know what it takes to be a genuine Christian. I don't, I don't want the, the fluff and the glamour and, and, and whatever it is to just, just talk about being Christian. I want to actually know what it is to be a Christian. And, and specifically what's so cool about this sermon is that Jesus wasn't necessarily talking about salvation, but, but talking to, to disciples and potential disciples of the way in which you should live in the world, the way in which you should have ethics in the world, where you build your ethical principles out of. And we're, we're, we're talking tonight that it just translates directly into a way of life that is different than the rest of the world and the way in which they live. And this sermon specifically had significant impact on the early church, which we talked about in Acts was the early church, the first church. These were the principles that they were remembering, that they talked about, that they prayed on, that they meditated with one another on, and having this understanding that this is the foundation of Christian living. But it wasn't just for the first church, it's just it's for us as well. And we're getting into the Beatitudes, or the attitudes that we should be like, or the blessings. See, Jesus sets the nature and aspirations of the citizens of the kingdom. If you determine that you are a follower of Christ, if you determine that you are a Christian, though I think that word is heavily overused, but if you describe yourself as someone who is desperate for a touch from Jesus, who is desperately following Jesus who just defines himself as a citizen of heaven, we have to recognize that these are the things and the principles in which Jesus laid down for us to try to aspire to have and to be. You see, the first of the the four Beatitudes, which is the only part that we're going to go over tonight, and there's eight total, but the the first of the four Beatitudes focus on the relationship to God. And the second of the four are, are the relationship to each other and how we're supposed to interact with our fellow man and each of the eight kind of builds on one another. Like nothing's by accident, nothing's random by Jesus, right? But there's a profound unity in the first, uh, the first verse or the first uh, beatitude, which is verse three, and the last, which is verse ten, and because they both end with the same reward, which is the kingdom. The kingdom is the reward. The kingdom of heaven. Which is actually a Hebrew style of writing that it means it's all-encompassing and it's actually related to each other. It's not just randomly talking about certain blessings that you're be given. If you do X, you shall get Y, and then if you do Y, you shall get Z. They're all connected. It's not random. But we recognize that Jesus' ministry was growing. It was was finally out in public, and and, and it was all the way to Syria, and, and people were coming from all over the place, and they were getting healed. People were walking for the first time, hearing for the first time, seeing for the first time. Illnesses were getting healed in those moments, but it was more than just healing. It wasn't just a healing crusade where people were getting... There was actually a point to it. I've said this before, and i say it again. Every single person that got healed by Jesus when he was walking the planet still died. So what was the point of their healing? What was the point of their healing? Testimony of the one that healed them. Pointing people back to the kingdom. Giving recognition for what Jesus did in their life. We recognize this for us, as God-fearing individuals, hopefully. We we define ourselves as sinners saved by grace. We recognize that we've been healed too. So there in turn, the point of our life is testimony that we've been saved, that we've been healed, and to point people back unto him. But it was growing rapidly. But he sits down. He said, I'm going to go find that little hill. I'm going to go sit down, which was customary for a rabbi to do during that time. I wish it was still customary, right, for me to just sit on the ground and talk to you guys. (laughs) But during that time, specifically in the synagogues, the the rabbi, the main main speaker, would actually sit down and start talking, and everyone would pay attention. And this is exactly what happened. And he starts out with blessings. Prosperity gospel, no. (laughs) Blessings. He said, blessed are. Blessed does not mean happy. It might coincide, there might be a result of the obedience, but blessing does not mean happiness. Happiness is a feeling contingent on circumstance that we experience. Here we see blessed, blessed are to mean to be approved. To be approved by God. The first one he says, blessed are the poor in spirit. I always struggled with this one because it's just like, do, uh, do I just have to be like completely like worthless? Is that the reality of, of of the existence as a Christian? And this is just me being honest, right, wrestling through the scripture. But are you are you worthless? I'm here to say, no, you're not worthless. Actually, you have a great value that the King of kings and the Lord of lords would actually send a son to die for you. There's value in your existence. There's value in your life. It doesn't mean that you're to be shy or spiritually anemic or to be drawn back or to be gutless or to be a coward or to be completely beholden. But rather, it's, it's something a little bit different. And we have to get into the Greek, which is patochos. Pito, uh, I can't exactly pronounce it, but but it's, it's, it's essentially where we get this word beggar. To be bent over, to be beggarly poor, someone who crouches. But how is that different? How is it different? You see, someone that is a beggar spiritually is completely dependent on the sustenance from someone else. And so if you're a beggar on the street, you're a cripple in the street, you cannot feed yourself, you cannot work, you cannot even go get water on your own. You are completely dependent on someone providing for you. And when we see this beggarly, spiritually essence of what we're called to be, are we fully dependent on Christ? Can we, we, we fully have the, the, the viewpoint that we cannot survive without the sustenance of the Father? That we, we can't survive without Jesus. I don't know about you guys, but a lot of my life, I thought I could do it without Jesus. I could be one foot in and one foot out and just, just live in such a way that, you know, I, I could do both. I could do the church thing. Dabble over here and dabble over there. But, but this poorness of spirit is, is recognizing that you are completely bankrupt. Spiritually, we we're completely bankrupt spiritually, and Jesus is the only provision. Someone said this Blessed are those who realize they have nothing within themselves to commend them to God, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It's a recognition that everything that we have that is good in us is from the Father, and everything else is void of purpose. Are we poor in spirit? And it's kind of a sad statement, right? I'm talking about living victoriously, but I'm telling you, you should be poor in spirit. You should be beggarly, crouched over, saying, Lord, if it's, it's only your way, right? But there's a point to it. But it's going to continue on, right? It's going to continue on. But the world says opposite. The world says, blessed is the man who is popular, Blessed is the man who is always right, who is strong, who, who rules with satisfaction within himself, has money, has wealth, has fame. Blessed is the man who can figure it out on his own, pull his bootstraps out and figure it out. Basically, blessed is the narcissist that focuses directly on themselves and how amazing they are. A the guy by the da- uh, name David Wells says, theology becomes therapy. The biblical interest in righteousness is replaced by a search for happiness, holiness by wholeness, truth by feeling, ethics by feeling good about oneself. The past recedes, the church recedes, the world recedes, and all that remains is self. When you boil it down to what the world wants, what Satan wants you to, to shoot after and pursue is self. Satan wants you to worship self. It's what it comes down to. Focus on you and nothing else. Treat yourself. Are you happy? If you're not happy, change it. Find happiness no matter what it takes, no matter who you hurt, no matter the cost. In Scripture, and the Lord tells us that happiness is just a feeling, but satisfaction comes from me. Identity comes from me. Purpose comes from me. Sustenance comes from me. Do you live in such a way? Do we live in such a way that said, "I I, I need you every single day"? Or are you trying to fill your cup with something else or someone else? Do we need Him every? single day see the poverty of spirit is essential for having God's approval and it's kind of essential for salvation because it's a fruit of what a genuine salvation actually looks like it's essential for spiritual growth Because at every step we have to come back to this reality that we need Jesus. I met and I've I've been the person that's gone through the hard times of life and then I say, oh, I need Jesus. And I'm going to church. And I'm giving and I'm praying and I'm fasting and I'm doing all the things. And then I get out of that season. I get out of that valley and I'm back on the mountaintop and I say, see ya. (laughs) Come back when I need you." It's kind of like that AAA A membership for Jesus, right? In case of emergency, <laughs> break that glass. When things get hard, I'm, I know Jesus got my back. But until then, I'm just going to do my own thing. Or do we have this understanding that I, I, I need Jesus no matter the circumstance of my life, no matter what is going on having this understanding that, that even in the highs, even in the blessings of this life, I still need Jesus. We're in great need of Jesus and his kingdom. And as we experience growth, the Lord told me this, obedience yields opportunity, and opportunity reveals ownership. So we're called to be obedient in this matter. We're, we're called to be obedient Unto his precepts, under his laws, under his, 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 his word. And then God given opportunity avails itself. And as we walk into that opportunity, how many of you guys have prayed for an open door or a shut door, or there are multiple doors open, and you want to know what God's will is? Well, the answer into discernment is obedience, to drawing near unto God. And he will draw near unto us, and he will. Often, most of the time, and let's say 100% of the time, most of the time reveal to us the way in which we should go. Sometimes he's silent, and that's okay because he's good. But as we walk through opportunity, what do we do when we have success? Do we blow off our relationship with the Lord or do we, we actually exemplify and glorify God in the process saying, the only reason I've stepped through this door, the only reason that I have this relationship or this job or, or this success or this healing is because of the Lord? It reveals our ownership. I'm not a self-made man. Every opportunity that I've been given has been given to me by the Lord. And every failure that I've partaken in is because of my selfishness and my flesh <laughs> and me not listening to the Lord. And so as we, 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 we walk through these amazing things and these opportunities of life, it reveals who we belong to. And then as we reveal who we belong to, it gives us opportunity to be obedient again. <laughs> and it's just cyclical. But the bottom line, the bottom line is that we need Jesus. And do we act that way? Do we act that way? And this, this is a hard one. Going into, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Well, it, this one builds on the last one, right? Like, so how does mourning fit into this process? Like, I, I need Jesus. Why am I mourning? It's recognition of the sin that we've committed and the sin that's around us. In order to, 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 to experience salvation, genuine salvation, you have to have an understanding of what you're getting saved from. You have to have an understanding of the depravity of sin, the depravity of this world, the, the, the heart wrenching feeling, emotions that God feels when we sin. The pastor has said it to me this way if we're the bride of Christ, sin is the infidelity unto the groom. For those of us that have experienced in our family infidelity or adultery, we know what that does to a family. We know that it wreaks havoc. We recognize that our sin causes our creator to feel that way, and he forgives us nevertheless. This is this morning that we're talking about, and it's this morning in which, which we feel and experience the reality of what it took for Jesus to die for our sins. It's like a truth pill. We're actually taking and We're actually giving credence to the sin that we've done and experienced and is all around us. But the Lord said, take heart, for they will be comforted. You have to get to this real understanding. You have to get to this place of mourning. And then rejoicing because you're going to experience comfort from the Holy Spirit. God allows this grief into our lives as a path, not necessarily as a destination. We don't live in that grief for all eternity, but this is the baseline. This is Jesus talking to the the people that are potentially disciples. For the first time, you have to understand that you and I are deserving of death and torture and hell, complete obscurity from everything that is good, which is God. And when you get to that place of understanding, then you realize how amazing God is and the grace that was given unto us by the crucifixion on the cross. It's like actually realizing what Jesus did and taking hold of it. It's not just this Christian ease, yeah, death, burial, resurrection, Jesus did the thing one time and I have this get out of hell free card. I have fire insurance, right? I accept, I accept the fire insurance, now I gotta go into heaven, right? No, it's the reality of our sin, the depravity of this world, and our spirit, our understanding, knowing that we it should cause us to mourn. It should cause us to mourn, but take heart. God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit will comfort us. And as we we get into the next approval by Christ, it said, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. How do we get meekness from, from this Beggarly, poor in spirit, and then mourning. Well, something is produced by those two, and it's the production of the virtue which is meekness. As a dude, I don't want to be known as gentle and mild. <laughs> it's just in my nature. Like, I want to be tough, I want to be strong. And yet the Lord calls us into meekness, which is really complex in this idea. And, and, and Jesus is really good at doing things and, and, and causing these divisions and causing you to think. But, but, but blessed are the meek. And, and really what he's getting at is just this strength under control. I love the, the picture of a wild stallion being brought into submission by, by, by a bit in its mouth. I ride horses my wife and I ride horses often and and, and we have this thousand pound animal underneath us and and he's only responding, they're only responding to the certain cues that they've been trained with, right? But meekness is knowing that this thousand pound animal has the ability to completely destroy us, right? And yet doesn't. It's this, this power, it's this strength under control. The meekest person that ever lived was Jesus Christ. I just, I, th- I think of the room when he's before Pontius Pilate. It's like, <laughs> this is God. And he's in chains, right? Whipped and torn, and it's it's like, he's the God of the universe, and you think that, that, that you can destroy him. And there's so much pride in Pontius Pilate, and yet, and yet Jesus is this perfect example of like literally the the power of the universe holding back because he chooses to. This is a terrible example, but, but you know the movie Superman with Henry Cavill, 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 whatever his name is? And like they go to arrest him and they like put handcuffs on him and he's like, really? <laughs> and then when it's time to get out of there, he's just like, think. It's just like the audacity for humanity to think that we can restrict God by the means in which we've provided. Like how awesome is God and yet he chose himself to lay down his life. You don't think that Jesus had a choice in the matter? He was being obedient to the Father. This was part of the plan but the reality is he could have been crucified on the cross and called a legion of angels to destroy everyone there to destroy Satan in his footsteps. And yet he didn't because there's a purpose in what he does. And having this understanding that we're called to live in such a way of humility and control and long-suffering. We have the capability of destruction. We have the capability of strength. Capability of all this knowledge to just bury someone in their stupid questions. (laughs) Whatever your strength may be, and yet do we yield it unto the Lord? I don't think there are enough humble Christians, gentle Christians. It's not a sign of weakness to be humble, to be long suffering, to be gentle. a matter of ownership. I belong to Jesus, so I know that I could decimate this person who's spitting in my face or asking a stupid question, and I choose not to. <laughs> That's convicting for me. I get a lot of stupid questions. <laughs> not from you guys, but just... <laughs> I, I have another hat called facilities and I <laughs> oversee the building. It's just like, man... Sometimes i just want to light people up because we're all just stupid, right? Myself included. Like we just and people say ridiculous things and do ridiculous things. And yet if we're just a building full of people that are just going to like be venomous and condescending and backbiting and rebellious, are we really different than the rest of the world? Or are we long-suffering and more gentle in our responses and humble in our responses? We have the capability, I have the capability of ruining my testimony, the testimony of this church, if I have one poor interaction with somebody. Somebody could walk through the doors for the first time in their life expecting to hear about Jesus and just hear my sass and attitude because I don't have patience and they never want to come back to church again. Is that a biblical example that I'm living? What kind of testimony is that? And of course there's grace and Jesus is still after that person he's gonna have his business. But what I'm saying is, are we holding ourselves accountable to our actions or is it easier to just blow people off? It's easier to blow people off, let me tell you. It's easier to get angry and short and backbite and yet God is calling us to be meek God is calling us to be gentle. We're truly yoked unto Jesus. He says, I'm humble and low in spirit. He will teach us how to walk. He will teach us how to plow the field. He will teach us how to live and to interact and to talk. So we have this poverty of spirit which reveals a true knowledge of ourselves, right? We fall short, and we need God, and we need, desperately need God over and over and over again. There's no sustenance other than God. And there's a mourning of this reality which gives way to the virtue of meekness. Like I said, it's, it's a supernatural meekness, but, but who inherits the earth? Who inherits the universe? The meek do, because they're Christ-like And it leads to something that we talked about last week. Hunger. As we have this meekness, as we strive to have this long-suffering, this humility, this strength under control, it leads to understanding that we have to have a hunger. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Righteousness. for they shall be filled. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. There's no satisfaction for a snack. There's no satisfaction for worldly things. It's the righteousness of God. The thing is is that we don't I'd say for most of us we don't really know what it is to be hungry to be without. Maybe there are certain moments for some of us where we went without food for circumstances of our family. I know I grew up with a, a single mom, so things were sparse sometimes, but, but to really be hungry, to really be thirsty is something that I think is probably far from us. And yet Jesus calls us to the reality that we're to hunger and thirst for righteousness. Righteousness. what is it that we're hungry for? And what's so cool about fasting is that it gives us a picture into like the worst part of ourselves. <laughs> we do without food completely. If any of you guys have done a water fast, like everything starts smelling great. Like you're looking in the garbage. You're like, man, <laughs> I could pick. I could pick around that. I know where that's been. It's fine. I don't know where that's been. That's fine. Like it's just it's a little bit, a little taste. And reveals more and more of just the gross stuff. And yet, God wants us to align our hearts in such a way that we, we, we hunger for him and his ways and his righteousness. We hunger for it. We thirst for it. How do you get this strength under control? Where well, you're hungering for righteousness. You're hungering for his word. You're hungering for his ways. You're hungering for a kingdom life, a kingdom character. That is so different than the the rest of the world and the way in which they live. I want to be known for being different. To be set apart, to be holy. Like, I, oh man. Even watching this stupid movie last night, I should have just walked out. But I didn't. Suffered through it. Like, already paid for it, whatever. (laughs) And that was convicting for me. Like, why didn't I just walk out? What are we searching for? How are we getting better? What does our life really look like? How are we living victoriously? These are the simple things of what it takes to be a Christian. And I fail miserably. (laughs) But God's grace is sufficient. And these are virtues that I want to have personally. That I want to strive for. That I want to work towards. And yet there's always grace to be found. And it's not about the works in which we do. It's the works that we get to do. It's not a have, it's a get-to. Maybe you guys have heard of that before, but this righteousness thing bugs me because I want it to be on the forefront of my mind, not on the back of it. In any given situation, anything I'm watching or reading or typing or looking at, I want it to be on the forefront of my mind. Is this righteous? Is this holy? Is this pure? Is this good? This isn't legalism. This isn't calling you to a place to just completely be a monk in some obscure territory, never look at anything again. No, it's just this hunger and thirst for righteousness. To be in this world but not of it, as cliche as it is, it's totally true. We are called to this world. We are called to the filth. But we have to strive for righteousness first in order to minister to it. That is the foundation of godly living to succeeding in this life because there's nothing more fulfilling than a life living lived according to his purposes. And that's why it says very specifically that you for they shall be filled. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they shall be filled. I want to live in such a way that I this is the first thing I think of when I'm watching a movie listening to a song, having a conversation, joking around with friends. It's a call to holiness, but you see, in obedience to that call, that's where we receive sustenance and fulfillment. That's where the good stuff is. These are kingdom attributes. Something to strive for and meditate on. To surrender unto the Lord and say, Lord, have your way. More of you and less of me. More of you and less of me. Recognizing that this is a process that we all go through, that we get to be excited about. Guys, I want the real deal. I don't want to play church. I don't want to fake Christianity or we're just here to make friends. I want something more and genuine. I don't care about numbers or how big this ministry gets. I care about the depth of your heart, the relationship that you have with Jesus and the impact that you can have for the kingdom by pressing in and digging in. We're called to a community like this to be sharpened, to be equipped. Ultimately, I don't want you to stay here. I want you to go out. I want you to be dangerous for the kingdom, but under control as Christ was. There's something to be found here. There's a relationship here. If you haven't tapped into it, I encourage you guys to start to question. Ask the hard things, pray the hard prayers. There's nothing like it, guys. It doesn't require anything of you except for to say yes. Once you say yes, genuinely, having an understanding of what it means to be saved, that's where I hope a fire catches in your heart you are excited about what is to come and to live a life in accordance to his will. Because there's nothing more fulfilling, nothing more satisfying, nothing that can fulfill our hunger the way in which a life lived for God does. Try it. Step in, press in. You won't be disappointed. There are great things to come. Don't lose heart. Amen? Let's pray. Gracious Father, thank you so much for your heart, Lord, and, and really boiling things down to what you're after and talking about the blessings, talking about the approval, talking about the things that are near and dear to you in such a way that, that we're supposed to live, that we're called to live, that we get to live. Father, this call to holiness, this, this, this challenge to holiness by you, Lord, is, is such a breath of fresh air because it's... It's not something that you require of us, but rather invite us into. It's not a requirement to be this this holy existing person, but it should be just a result of having a genuine relationship with you. And I pray for all of us that you would stoke the fire in our spirits, in our hearts, in our minds that would want us to be close to you, that would want us to be set apart from the rest of the world, for us to look differently, to talk differently, to act differently, to interact, to respond differently. So much, though, that it would cause people to question what's different about you. And we would be able to answer confidently, well, I belong to Jesus. So help all of us live a life that resembles that, that reflects that, that we belong to you. Father, I pray for tonight would be glorifying, edifying to you that your spirit would move heavily upon this place, Lord, and that you would bring conviction, that you would bring encouragement, and you would bring a surrender and like we've ever felt before, Lord. Call us to a deeper place. We love you, we praise you, and all these things we pray, amen.